The Old Testament lesson for the third Sunday in Advent is from Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please rise for the gospel. Alleluia. Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 11th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Sometimes it is easy to rejoice, and at other times it seems impossible. It's something we've talked about the last few weeks. How can you rejoice in misery, in sorrow, in grief? How can you rejoice in the midst of suffering? How can you rejoice in the face of hopelessness? How could John the Baptist rejoice while he sits there in prison? 
thrown in prison by the wicked King Herod on account of his wife Herodias, whom he'd taken from his brother Philip. John preached that that was unlawful, and so he wound up in jail. How could John rejoice? That may well have been the question on John's mind when he sent his disciples to Jesus today to find out whether Jesus is the one he was looking for. I want to do some rejoicing, John says, but here I sit in prison. That wouldn't have been a very kind and friendly place, worse than our prisons, worse conditions under Roman rule. It would have been dreadful, and there John sat wondering how he could rejoice. How could he rejoice when his life seemed to be so utterly out of control? He'd have had to have been a fool not to recognize that his life hangs in the balance in this moment. With a word, King Herod can end John's life. In fact, that is precisely what happens. You know how the story goes. On Herod's birthday, his wife Herodias' daughter comes out and dances for King Herod. And he, being a vile, despicable man, is delighted with the dancing and says to the young girl, I'll give you whatever you want. Ask for anything up to half of my kingdom. And she goes and asks her mother Herodias, who hates John the Baptist, would you tell me what I should ask for? And Herodias says, go and ask Herod for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And that's precisely what happened. With a word, on a whim, even though Herod didn't really want to do it because he felt compelled by the promise that he had made, just like that, Herod speaks the word and John's head is lifted from his shoulders. His life sure seems to be out of control. This is not the first time in the Bible, not the only time in the Bible, that God's people seem to have their lives thrown out of control by the whim of a wicked person. Take Joseph, for instance, in the Old Testament. You remember how that story goes. Joseph, who was favored by his father, but despised by his brothers, they threw him into a well, planned to kill him. And with uh, a thought, just an idea, they decide to sell him to some traders. He's sold into slavery. There he sits as a slave in Egypt. And then... His master's wife accuses him of a crime. He's thrown into jail. There he sits in jail. Joseph seems to be bandied about like a a pinball in a pinball machine, just going wherever they send him. He has no control over his life. It's completely out of his control. God's man, Joseph, who would save the world by storing up grain in the midst of a famine, Joseph was just tossed about, seemingly having no say in the matter whatsoever. Or take... That story that comes later, Daniel and the three men, both Daniel being thrown into the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace, what say did they have in the matter? They didn't listen to the king, how could they? And so, with a word, they were thrown to be executed, just like that. Lives completely out of their control. That is how it is for John in today's lesson. There he sits, and Herod could say the word, And it's all over. A far cry, that situation is, a far cry from the control that we crave in our lives. Do you ever feel like your life is out of control? We are never satisfied, to be sure, with the small amount of control that we do 
have over our lives? Isn't it always the case that we want more control? There are some things that you can control. You can decide to get up and go to church on a Sunday morning. You can say no to an extra piece of chocolate cake. You can control some of these things, but that's never enough for us. Those are not the things we want to control. We want to control the bigger things, the grander things, the plan and purpose of my life. And so we worry about the things we cannot control. Instead of doing the things that we can, we worry about what we can't control, like the weather or foreign politics or other people's behavior. We worry about those things. They're outside of our control. We long for, crave that kind of control. When things go smoothly, isn't it the case that we often feel like we are in control of our lives? When things are going according to plan, like that rich fool who had such a a magnificent harvest that he loaded up all his barns and thought to himself, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger and better ones because I'm in control of this situation. I have a plan for the future. When things go smoothly, don't we just latch onto it like that and say, I'm the one who's driving this ship. I am in control. And when things go poorly, when things go off the rails, we lose our minds because we want so badly to be in control. A bad diagnosis comes along and we act as if it is a strange or surprising thing that this might happen to us. We grow old and infirm and we are surprised that our bodies don't work the way they were supposed to because we wanted to be in control. Notice how we long for that, how we crave that. Even in this world where now being a victim is one of the most privileged positions in our world. Even there, you can see this victim mentality is an attempt to grasp at control. If you're the worst victim, then you have the most say in the matter. If you're the most oppressed, then you actually get to control everything. That's how much our hearts long for control. But we have none, really, whatsoever. Even though none of us is sitting in prison like John the Baptist, our lives really are just like his like a breath that fades away. With a word, Herod could end John's life. With a simple slip of the mind on the way home, you could crash your car. That could be it, the end of the story for you. Your lives are not in your control. That's how it is for John. That's how it is for you and for me. And as time goes on, you know this as well as anyone. As time goes on, your grip on things really weakens. It loosens over time. All flesh, all flesh eventually withers. There John sits with not a lick of control over his life, and his life is a reflection of ours. Here's the good news. Although Herod thinks that he's the one in control, and it's always the wicked rulers who think they're controlling things for God's people, who is it that determines the course of everything? You heard it in our lesson today from Isaiah. All flesh is like grass. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, That's when it withers and fades. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. It isn't Herod's breath. It isn't his word that brings John's life to an end. It's the Lord's word. It's the Lord's breath. It isn't the kingdoms and rulers of this world. It isn't chance. It isn't fate. It isn't tragedy. It isn't natural disaster. It isn't anything that we can see that controls our lives, but it's the Lord's word. And that's good news. 
It's good news that it's the Lord who is in control of things and not anyone or anything in this world. Listen to how God puts things in perspective. The lesson from Isaiah 40 goes on, and God talks about how much more powerful his word is, his breath is, than the breath of the likes of Herod. God asks, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him counsel? Whom did God consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the path of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from the bucket and they are accounted like dust on the scales. Behold, God takes up the coastlands like fine dust. There is nothing in all of the nations of the world that counts for anything in God's sight. Not all of the might and all of the power and all of the strength and all of the uncontrollable forces in this world can hold a candle to the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It all sits in God's hand. And I tell you, that is good news even for John the Baptist, who, at the word of the Lord, lost his head. That is good news, because the Lord is for you and not against you. At the end of our lesson in Isaiah 40, God describes his arm, which is a sign of strength, a sign of might. Here's what he says about his arm. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And that is a powerful image. The Lord, stronger and mightier, bears his arm to do magnificent deeds. And if the Lord is not on your side, that would be a terrifying thing. The Lord who shakes the heavens and shatters the earth. The Lord who can do whatever he wants. If he is not on your side, that is a terrifying image. But listen to what God does with that mighty arm of his. He will tend his flock Like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. It is in the Lord's arms, the Lord's mighty arm, that you rest safe and secure. It isn't because you have any control over your life that things ever go well with you. And it isn't because you are out of control That things go poorly. It is all because the Lord is carrying you like a shepherd carries his lambs. And that is the best news there ever could be. The Lord who created the heavens and the earth has looked at you and me and loved us. The Lord who created the heavens and the earth with a word has spoken his word in our favor. You are mine. I have chosen you. I will take care of you. Nothing can harm you. It's glorious news. It's good news, like the news that those shepherds heard on Christmas morning. Next week, we'll hear the shepherds listening as the angel appears above them and brings them good tidings of great joy for all people. Behold, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, someone who rescues from sin and death and the devil. It's no surprise that it was shepherds that heard that news, first of all, shepherds, Like King David before them, a shepherd taken from guarding the flocks to guard the people of Israel, a shepherd like our God, who gathers up the lambs of his flock and carries them safely 
Good news of great joy. That's what the shepherds heard. And they went to Mary and Joseph and the baby, and they saw everything that God said would happen there, lying in the manger. They saw it, and they went around and reported to everyone what they had seen and what they had heard, which is just what Jesus tells John's disciples to do today. John, whose life seemed out of control, sent his disciples to Jesus to find out, is it you, or should I look for another? And Jesus says, Go and tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. It is me. I am here. The Lord your God Almighty reigns. The blind are receiving their sight. The lame are walking. The deaf are hearing. Those who are afflicted are made well. And the poor, the likes of you and me, have good news preached to them. John was called to be a messenger by God. Behold, I send my messenger before my face. That was John's vocation. His calling, and it is a glorious calling. Jesus says, no one born of woman is greater than John, except for who? You, the least in the kingdom of heaven, are greater than he. The Lord has called you. As surely as he called John to be his messenger, the Lord has called you to be his sheep, to follow his voice, to be cared for by him, to be led to green pastures and still waters. Rejoice. This is your God. Don't ever worry. Don't ever fret about your life being out of control. Rejoice that it's not in your control. Praise God that he is the one who directs and guides all of your ways. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.